0: Hey everybody, this is D-Brain, and I just wanted to bring a special announcement, Um, starting with this episode, for the next two weeks, anybody who will leave us a review and a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, we want you to first do the review and rate, and then email us at dcrab at gmail.com, or put it on our Facebook page that you left us a review. And then the next episode, after these two weeks are up, we're going to have a special shout-out to everybody who left us any type of review or rating um, at the end of that episode. Uh, but with that being said, um, I just want to welcome you all to Episode 4, uh, The Summer Hill Road Murders. And just as a little preview for next week, this episode was particularly brutal, and we wound up with two kind of funner, palate-cleanser episodes, and... We we're going to release those two on the same day, just because we know our audience is true crime, and we wanted to get right back into the brutalness after a week of the kind of a break. So with that, please enjoy the show. Alright, welcome everybody. This is Drew D. Brain Branson of the Hat Trick Podcast, sitting here with... Dustin D.
1: Crab Crabtree.
0: And uh, tonight, we're talking about the Summerhill Hill Road Murders. Yep. Now, Dustin, I believe this one has evoked many strong emotions from you.
1: Yep. <laughs> now, this is actually the only one that I've went and told my wife. Uh, she's very gorgeous and attractive, by the way,
2: just in case she have listened to this. <laughs> uh, she's not going to listen.
1: You know, and it, it's kind of weird because I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I... I do a lot of my research, at, you know, kind of in the bathtub, and that might sound a little fruity or whatever. But my muscles from work are always sore, so I take baths to relax.
0: I think this is day three of our homosexual ins- insensitivity. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're we're still you know for the gays or
0: <laughs> for the gays <laughs> that was but, uh, the first problem I brought up the, the homosexual the lgbtq community <laughs> we, we're supportive yeah. uh, oh stop barking. we're leaving that in
1: yeah uh, no but I got out of
0: uh, Maddie.
1: I got out of you know going to the you know dinner table or whatever to do my research and I uh, I relaxed my muscles and you know, take a bath, whatever. Anyway, um, I got out of the bath after doing research on this case, and, you know, I, my wife was folding clothes in the bedroom, and I was like, this case just absolutely makes me sick. And she was like, oh, well, well you know, she just, tra- <laughs> 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 the dog's ground. sorry. Um, she was asking me, like, Yo, what about it makes you sick? And just the the fact that, you know, the overall suspect, and the one who got charged for this got off and lived his life for like, twenty five years or however much it was. He lived it. he was a free man for a long time.
2: Let's put it that way without getting into too many details.
1: But
0: um but we're about to get into details.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, so let's let's kick it off. You wanna do the summary, Drew?
0: Yeah. Um where do you think I should start? Should I just start with who, who we're talking about yeah. here? Yeah. Okay, so we got uh, let's see. Should I just talk about Katie? Yeah, we'll talk about We'll, we'll just list their names
1: first. The Eastburns, that's the family that we're talking about. Uh, Gary is the husband. Uh, Katie is the wife. And they have three daughters, Kara, Aaron, and Jenna. Uh, the, uh, this murder, these murders take place on May 9th, 1985. Um, it, uh, they don't get discovered until May 12th, which is Mother's Day. Um, Gary Eastburn was away on a, what was it, like a training?
0: Yeah, it was officer's training. He's yeah. a, in the Air Force, yeah, it and was, they were in Alabama.
1: Yeah, it, it was like a two-month or like a ten-week.
0: He was there forge. for a while. He was, uh, I think he
1: was there for like two months by the time. He'd been gone for a while by the time this actually happened. But uh, I don't know if – that he now, he was stationed in Fort Bragg, but uh, I don't really know if we should just kind of – this is, how, this is how I'm going to do it. Um, everything was pretty well normal. I heard that they were planning to transfer to Germany. Did you read up on that?
0: Yeah. Um. I was thinking it was England.
1: Yeah. Am and, I wrong? I well, mean, I thing, like
0: I, I know it's over in Europe.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I went between like five or six different sources on trying to research for this case, and it was weird because... You know, the overall outcome was all the same, but, like, minute details were, you know, did they come in through the door? Did the police come in through the door, <laughs> the window? Did the neighbors find them? You know, everything was just kind of, uh, kind of off. But yeah, I I had it down as they transferred. To, they were going to transfer to Germany. 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 Uh, Katie Eastburn had put their dog, Dixie, in the, pa- at, in the paper to uh, find a good home because under the military rules or restrictions, yeah, they, they, couldn't, build that they couldn't take the dog with them. Uh, and who answered that? You know.
0: Yes, that was <laughs> <laughs> that was Tim Hennis. and uh, Tim Hennis answered it. They uh, they a, there was a kind of interesting. I just think because of the ge- uh, generation gap of today, like this was in the eighties, so I mean it was ad in the paper. The Breakfast Club was still cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they put in there that uh, they wanted like ten dollars. Yeah. So that they could kind of like weed out people who were just like give them the yeah. you know the runaround, you know and
1: hush uh, we
0: our dog my our dog <laughs> my dog hey <laughs> yeah, my dog my dog is a bit cranky today but anyways um, so they put the ad in the paper for the dog and tim hennes shows up and he wants to take the dog home <clears throat> to see if you know he said if he got along with the dog for that they already had
1: yeah i can't remember if like they already they had a dog before they had their daughter and then like the dog wanted too much attention or something like that i think that was i mean it's not really you know it, it's not really a big point to make but it was somewhere along those lines of they wanted a new family dog that was already used to children so this is where they kind of got the uh they got the notion to get this dog but uh he shows up everything's fine Everything goes accordingly, I guess, to him. Um, he could be a liar. But um, I guess he, like, before he leaves, he has to use the bathroom. And then he gets back out, leaves. And, you know, that's the last that he reports talking to him. Um, I will say this, though. Like, I stopped reading it about right there. And it was like, all right, I don't really think he did it. But, you know, I didn't read any more into it after that. I was like, no, Hennessy didn't do it. Uh huh.
0: But, you know, come to find out, you know, we maybe he did. Well, I honestly don't think anything <clears throat> weird went down because it was, wasn't it, like, a couple days before the murder? It's like, two yeah, or three days?
1: It, yeah, it was a couple days before the murder. But, like, when you look at his past, uh, I mean, his wife, I believe, was out of town at the time.
0: Yeah, I have an interesting thing about that. Yeah. When we come around to that point. And
1: he had been reported of going to... Like, an ex-girlfriend's house looking for sex. Yeah, that was nuts. So, was, you know, there, you, we don't know what happened here. There's, I mean, at, whenever he can pick up the dog, something might have happened, and she blew him off.
2: There's never I,
0: been. I, I just say that because <clears throat> her and Gary had, that was daily phone calls. Yeah. And I wow. imagine that if something weird had happened while he was there, she would have told him, well, see, unless now, maybe I, I didn't read and she did say something weird. No, I
1: thought it... it it was reportedly every Thursday. Oh,
0: okay. they would call.
1: So if this happened on a Monday, when he came pick up the dog,
2: then yeah because this happened it. on the night of Thursday. Yeah, this happened on so. Thursday night.
1: All right, well, and th- let's jump into that part too because on Thursday, May twelfth, nineteen eighty five, uh, Gary calls in calls to do his Thursday night phone call, and she doesn't answer. Okay, he calls her multiple times, nothing. Yeah, he, I think it's reported that he calls her still over the weekend and she never picks up. So he's beginning to become a little bit worried about it until Sunday.
0: Yeah. And so the neighbor next door to their, to Katie and them's house. Yeah. And
1: the, the neighbor's names
0: were Bob and Jeanette uh, Seafield. Yeah. And so they had noticed that um, the newspaper's, I apologize if you can hear my dog barking again. But they...
1: We're doing the best we can.
0: Yeah. But they had noticed that the newspapers (laughs) were piling up. And so he... Bob goes over to the house to inspect. And from what we've read and kind of talked about, because there's a few different conflicting, just minor details, he... I believe he came to the door, heard the baby crying, so then they called the police.
1: And... Yeah, and... I really don't know. One thing I heard said that from the window he seen the baby in the crib. One said that he knocked on the door, never got a response, heard the baby screaming, and got worried, called the police. Now we'll just go off of that one, okay? He rang the doorbell, got nothing, heard the baby crying, and called the police. At that time, the local sheriffs they knocked down the they either knocked down the door or they went through the window. That was another thing that was I read two different things. So, went into the window, got the baby, brought the baby back out, and gave the baby to Jeanette. <clears throat> and then they continued their investigation. They would come to find Katie, uh Kara, and Aaron, all slain uh, viciously. Uh, Katie had been stabbed multiple times, raped, and her, her throat, throat was slit. cut. Uh Kara was stabbed multiple times, and her throat was cut. And Aaron also had her throat cut and was stabbed multiple times. Um, Now, the two girls that were killed were five and three. Uh, Kara was five, Aaron was three. Kara was just short of her sixth birthday. So, I mean, these are very, very young
2: people.
0: Yeah, which, it's weird to me that this person could kill... (laughs) That small of children, like he cut it off at the baby.
1: Well, and like, if you want to, kind of think about it, the baby wouldn't be able to identify him. Now the, the other ones would
2: would have been able to
1: identify. I didn't think yeah. about that. And what kind of what kind of dug on me? And when I told my wife about it, she said the same thing before I even explained this to her. But uh, Jana, the one that survived, she was almost two years old. She you know, was suffering from diarrhea. She had bad diarrhea. She had been in her crib for reportedly three days, and her teeth were starting to turn black. She was yeah. so severely dehydrated. The officer said she was about eight hours away from death. So at this point, you're like, well, they got there just in the nick of time. And, you know, whenever she's interviewed later on about the murders and stuff, she's saying, you know, I've lived my entire life feeling guilty. That you know why didn't he kill me? And that's what my wife was. She was like, I can't imagine how she would feel about that. But she also, I mean, whenever she goes to the graves of her mother and her two sisters, you know, either you know her friends or maybe not even maybe not her friends, but her dad especially, you know, he might cheer up. And she says she report they report that she doesn't. And the simple fact is she has no memory of who they are. She just knows what happened to him. You know, lives with kind of like the guilt of... And, you know, I should have I should have died that day with my family. Yeah. And I can't imagine how that would feel. Just the... I don't know if it would be guilt, but survivor's remorse, I guess you'd call it.
0: Yeah, they call it survivor... I think they actually do call it survivor's guilt in some thing. But, so, you know, the cops come, they find this scene. <clears throat> and uh, they... Find out from a man named Patrick Cohn. Oh,
1: and one thing I wanted to point out, it wasn't a Chevelle. It was a Chevette. It was a Chevette? Yeah, and that's, they're two completely different cars.
2: what They look okay. like a,
1: I, I, I've only seen one, and it kind of looks like a Fox Buddy. Fox Buddy Mustang-ish. Like, it's, uh-huh. it's not, but I mean, it, it's more of like a Geo Metro looking car, to <laughs> me, anyway.
0: Okay. Because I, yeah, I wrote down Chevelle. Yeah. And that's it, what I had
1: heard at first, too, but they were.
0: It was a Chabet. okay. So, Patrick Cohn is a man who he was like a janitor, and so he was going, like, he got up early, started early, and you know, because the, the cops were trying to find anyone who would have information about suspicious happenings that night.
1: Which, every, which they do, they, they get out there and investigate.
0: Yeah, so this guy, you know, he comes forward and he says that he saw a man leave. Did he, did he well, see him actually leave their house?
1: I, I, it says that he ran into him, but before we kind of get on this, they call in uh, Robert Biddle and Jack Watts. their homicide detectives, and we'll talk about them later. But whenever they were discovered on Mother's Day, uh, they called them at around twelve thirty, one o'clock, and they were both with their mothers, um, as you would be on a Mother's Day. But And I wanted to put that in there because we'll, we're going to, Kind of put in some of their references and quotes here towards the end of it. Yeah.
0: And actually, before I finish the thing about Patrick Cohn, we need to mention how they got a hold of Gary because we didn't bring that up.
1: Yeah. And that's, this is, this is like, it was cringing to to hear. But yeah. um, He had called for, you know, however many days trying to get a hold of his family. He gets a call that Sunday on Mother's Day. And they tell him, hey, you got a phone call. And he says, is it my wife? And they said no. And he picks up the phone and says, how many of them are still alive? And, you know, just he knew something was wrong. I mean, he's however many miles away, like 500 miles away or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, he's sent back to, you know, be with the, be with the family. But they don't tell him. They, they just say there's been a death in the family. Right? Yeah. And you need to come home.
0: And um, so he gets home. So anyways, you know, the police... They start talking to this Patrick Cone guy. So he sees a guy in the area around 3.30 in the morning <clears> carrying <throat> a garbage bag over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. And this man was wearing jeans, a knit cap, and a black members only jacket. Yes. And he got he, he actually talked to Patrick Cone. He said something like, get an early start.
1: Get an early start today.
0: Yeah, and uh, so he went and got in his white Chevette and left. Oh. So the police get them to do a composite ah. sketch about um of this man yeah that they sorry about the dog again um of what he's seen and so they put this sketch on the news and they also the police also say that they want to interview the man who came and picked up a dog from the house yeah so tim hennis and his wife and their daughter they're having dinner and they see on the news that they're looking for basically him And that the sketch looks exactly like him.
1: And and as somebody that also drives a white Chevette, now what does Henness drive? He owns a white
0: Chevette. Huh. Weird. So, they go down, you know, and this part I found was weird, but he goes down to the police station. Yeah. Because, I mean, they're, because they don't have his name, they just, they have this sketch, and they also say that they want to look for the guy who came and picked up the dog. Yeah. So they don't know this guy's name. So I mean, he could have been anonymous, like he didn't have to go down there. So but he deals, he does go down there, but the the cops say I had read something where they said like they interviewed him and he was given like really short answers, like short as in kind of grumpy, and he acted really arrogant.
1: Really? Yeah. I read that he was he acted like he was kind of arrogant, but
0: from
1: <laughs> what I read, it was like yeah, I'm just gonna go down there and tell him what I know like all nonchalantly, and I'm not going to get in trouble for this. He didn't, there was, beyond, he didn't have a doubt in his mind that he was just going to go down there, give some information, and come back home.
0: Yeah, and so he got to, I mean, he came down there, you know, and the cops are like, there's something weird about this guy, but they have to let him go, so he gets to go home. But they started working on, because he was like the dead ringer for the sketch. They took a photo of him. And they did a photo lineup of like him and like four other pictures, mm-hmm. gave it to Patrick Cohn. Cone says he he looks at one picture and was like, That guy has the same nose, but then he points at a picture of um Hennis and says, That's but that's the guy. Yeah. And so they with that they're able to get a warrant. Mm-hmm. They find out that for five and a half hours, uh, one night Hennis was burning something in his backyard. The neighbors say they seen him burning mm-hmm. something. Um
1: but who is who is Henness? I mean he's He He's in the Air Force.
0: No, Henness is uh yeah, is not the Air Force? Gary's in the Air Force. Hennis is he's in the armed forces, but I don't remember what branch he's in. I I see I thought it was in, I thought it was the Air Force. No, yeah. I have here that Gary was in the Air Force, yeah, but yeah, I knew I, I feel like he was in the navy or something.
1: Okay. Or well, possibly the Marines. I knew that, you know, after it was all said and done he retired as a master sergeant, but I wasn't looking kind of too much into it. You know, oh, you know what exactly he was, but
0: he's in the army, I think. Is he? Okay. Because now, now like, cause, yeah, because we'll, yeah, because
1: of later, we'll state this real quick. He might, he could be in any branch. We don't have a definite say so on. He was definitely yeah. in this branch. He did retire as a master sergeant, from whatever he was in. <laughs> yeah. So we, we've, we've got that. But but as far as the sharp details, <laughs> yeah. I, I have no clue what branch he was and I really didn't care after I had right up on this case i was like i just i really don't
0: well i and i don't really want to give this guy a lot of glory
1: you know um
0: but he so anyways you know they wind up they get a a warrant for him they go pick him up but of course whatever he was burning (laughs) they don't know what it was yeah and um so they kind of have to you know they're interviewing him and they just the thing that keeps coming up is that this guy is really arrogant and they said he like he scored really high on one of his tests when he entered the military, and so like one of the things the cops mentioned was if he is hiding something, he's not gonna accidentally let it slip.
2: Yeah,
1: and if I've I watched a documentary uh, when they were bringing him, you know, down the down in the hall, I guess to either to the courtroom or to the jail cell, whatever it was, and he was being recorded just by the. Just by the way he walks. I mean, he's in handcuffs, but he's got the schmuck look on his face, and just really arrogant. I mean, he just looks like one of those bastards you just want to take behind the <laughs> take behind the barn shed, and just <laughs> give him a piece of your mind,
0: <laughs> piece of your
1: fist, whatever. Give him
0: a good talking to. Yeah. Um. So, and another thing, you know, the police later on, they did go do a luminol test through the house, and they discovered that there was evidence that it looked like. In the bathroom and another area, it looked like someone had tried to clean some of the blood and tried to do a, a somewhat cleanup on the crime scene. So, and what
1: would
2: you do after you clean all that stuff up?
0: You'd go to the bathroom.
1: Well, wouldn't you put it in a garbage bag and then go oh, burn it? The,
0: Well, yeah, you mm-hmm. would.
1: That's what I would do,
0: but if I ever had to, and I'll be honest, I well, you know what, this is where, since we're recording. I've already told Dustin a lot of how I feel about it, but, um, well, actually, that's part of the reveal, so I'll get to that later, because that's a key part of evidence against why he might not be the guy.
1: Okay. Um. Well, see, I haven't really heard too many of those theories, so I'm going to be excited to hear on why.
0: Yeah, and, well, so, he goes, and I don't have a lot of stuff written down about the first trial, um, but one thing, his, Hennis' alibi was that that night, his wife was home, during the day. He took his wife and daughter to his wife's mom's house. And so he drops them off. He tells the police that he went straight home. Well, actually, he didn't do that. We know this for sure. He went to an ex-girlfriend's house. Looking for Looking for sex. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he tried to be um, kind of sneaky. And this I think this goes towards his... Maybe being a, kind of an arrogant dude. Uh, the girlfriend, the ex girlfriend claims that as he's talking to her, she kind of like touches his ring and says, What about your wife? Or how's your wife doing? And he goes, Oh, she left me. And he kind of, it's kind of like that weird way of like when you say something being funny, like, Well, technically she did leave me. She's not staying at the house tonight. But he m- tried to make it sound. She took it as he tried to make it sound like, oh, they're getting split up. Uh And so, anyways, she she doesn't do anything with him. And he leaves. And from there, we don't have actual proof of where he went.
1: No. But he does leave her often. I'm, you know, I would just guess, oh, well, I can't get sex here. I'm going to get sex somewhere else. Hmm. I saw a pretty girl the other day.
2: Hmm
0: yeah and that's that's what he's lonely <laughs> and that's what a lot of people think was his motivation and that's where well we can just kind of go into the trial with that because that's kind of what the prosecution brought to the table yeah they said this is probably his his motivation for doing it yeah
1: i will say this i'm i've, I've seen a lot of cases where they've had more evidence and didn't get a conviction. They had they didn't really have that much evidence and they still got him convicted. Yeah, and he's you know, he's sent to death row.
0: Yeah, he's sent to death there is, you know, they talk about the prosecution lawyers having um these pictures of the murder scenes and they're showing the jurors and they're making a the big deal and like in their closing statements they you know, the guy like dramatically slams them down and points at Henness and he's like, There's your baby killer right there and
1: so and you know it's it's odd too because in cases where the person who you know has been prosecuted of the crimes when he actually didn't do it you know um, there's been a lot of evidence that the defense have tried to put into play and the prosecution and the judge will you know rule it as admissible where you can't use it and you know if you look into a lot of these cases a lot of them they only let people use evidence that's going to like point to no he did it and nothing of no he didn't do it and that's just the way that our system works and if you don't want to believe me on that look up any kind of case records and listen to some listen to some other podcast about wrongful convictions whatever this happens a lot
0: yeah and a lot of it has to do because like they'll say things are inadmissible in court and they don't it's like they try to not have so much um, evidence, or not exactly evidence, but just things that would sway the jurors to be like, this person's just an all around bad guy. So maybe he didn't do this. Maybe he didn't do this, but I think he should go to jail anyways, yeah. kind of thing. But they, after this trial, they find him guilty. And they send him to death row.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, his lawyers wind up uh, appealing, and they say. That because of the use of those pictures, it was making the jurors, like it was emotionally messing with the jurors, making yeah. them.
1: Well, he's the one that they say did this. These pictures are so bad. This crime scene is so bad. Yeah, he did
0: it. Yeah. And so now after he's been convicted, um, Gary, um, he wound up going to wherever it was that like he was supposed He took uh, Jana yeah. and went to wherever he was supposed to be stationed at overseas and he eventually gets married again to an, like a nurse yeah. over in England or yeah. somewhere in there Liz. and i don't know if that happens before or after this point but it happens after okay so it was like one of the cops was it one of the cops or one of the lawyers called him and was and, like you need to come back because Henness is is getting a retrial well
1: i think he might have been already back by then but yeah they called him and said yeah he's getting a retrial
0: yeah, I just I had something. I just really think that he was still overseas, and someone called him because it was basically like he went and was trying to be like new, you know, fresh start, fresh start get over yeah. it.
1: And you know, yeah, this he, guy's been
0: convicted. Yeah,
1: and he might he might have still been overseas. I just I would not
0: I just because it just sticks out in my head because I can remember just thinking like, man, you're halfway across the globe. Okay. You think yeah. the dude that killed your wife and your other kids has been put away? Mm-hmm. And then, because I remember, I can't remember if it was the lawyer or the detective, but they, there was a quote of them saying, I never wanted to have to make a phone call like that, yeah. because you're basically having a call and be like, you thought it was over, yeah. and he said, you need to come back, was like the quote, like, you need to come back, Hennis is getting a retrial. Yeah. So he comes back, because he's going to have to talk in the trial. Yeah, And they, so he comes back, this time they can't use the pictures. Mm-hmm. And the defense starts coming up with all this stuff, and some of it. It's kind of hard to argue. Um, they find this kid, which makes me wonder, you know, like, where was this guy the first time around? But the defense brings this guy who, the, and the uh, prosecution, even some of those guys were like, that was a spitting image of Henness that walked yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And he only ever wore a black members only yeah. jacket. And, and he, I thought that
1: was just really odd. Like this, when when he says this is a spitting image of Hennessy He's not lying. Like, this guy is about the same height, same build, close to the same, you know, hairstyle and color. Yeah. Also wears the black (laughs) members-only jacket. I mean, it's... Which, those were
0: popular at the time. Yeah. And the judge... I actually still have (laughs) them. And the judge said it could have been his brother. Like, he looked so much like him, you'd have thought it was his brother. So, they, you know, they bring this kid in, and he's like, yeah, I walk around at around 3.30 in the morning. I live up the road. Do they carry a black trash bag over his shoulder? I don't. It's actually a book bag that he was carries. It was a book bag. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about that part. No. And I've, I want to feel like they said, and this guy drives a white Chevette.
1: No, I was, I was going to say I, that, but.
0: I'll, I don't remember for sure. Yeah. And I, I don't want to make it sound like we're not prepared for this podcast. Yeah, but, I mean, but you there's, can't,
1: there's there's, nothing to really research on this guy because it was like, a, oh, well, they brought this guy in. He had a bunch of similarities. then that's about all that they talk about. Yeah. But I I was pretty sure that he drove the white shit.
0: So I I thought so too. But they, so they bring this guy in, then they look at what was burned in the, uh, that he was burning and nothing in the burn pile could be linked to be evidence. Now, well, I mean, it's burnt stuff. Yeah. So there's no telling. Well,
1: I mean, still they can find, they can still find a lot of stuff. I mean, the forensics now at the time, Mm-hmm. forensics wasn't as, as as good as it is today but uh there's been cases longer than that ago where they could you know pull it back up and i mean there could have been evidence in there we don't know but they said there wasn't so we have to go with that yeah
0: and so so that happens and now another big thing that i don't know if we explicitly mentioned this a while ago around the time of the murders Henness took his black members only jacket and left it at a dry cleaner But, yes, but it had no blood on it. And not like they somehow cleaned the blood, as in when they took it and dropped it off, it wasn't bloody. Like the people at Laundromat was like, no, there weren't any bloodstains on it. But then again, just in my head and being, thinking logically, dude's probably not going to walk up the road of what he was wearing when he committed these murders. So if this was Hennis, he probably didn't kill these people, commit these Murders wearing that jacket whatever was in that bag was probably his own bloody clothes probably changed but then again if we go with the theory that he was looking for sex and he got rebuffed from his old girlfriend why would he have a whole new set of clothes to wear yeah, that's, that, that would be kind of odd. so it would mean that he went in there intending that but if even if he brought his
1: own clothes yeah
0: yeah but we're not even sure if he intended you know if if you go on the theory of He just wanted to go and sleep with somebody, and then he just got really mad when he got turned down again. Like, he wasn't, you know, planning on it at the time. Well,
1: I mean, you know, if he goes to Katie and she's like, no, I'm not going to have sex with you, her husband is in the Air Force, and this could be, this could come back on him as, well, he tried to, you know, get sex from her. His story would get out more, Uh you know, if she told her husband. So that, that could be
0: another motive. Yeah. So, and I had read a quote from one of the jurors who basically said, looking at the evidence, oh, because there was a pubic hair found Mm -hmm. that matched nobody. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would also want to point out, and I didn't know this until I started reading the New York Times article, it was a rent house. Mm -hmm. So there is a chance that it could have been a pubic hair from a, a previous renter. So, you know, that goes out of it. Now, there was a – we'll get to that in a minute, I guess. So one of the jurors, there was a quote that he said basically they were trying to put a square peg in a round hole. He said he didn't think Hennis did it. And this jury finds him innocent of all charges. Yeah. And Gary was quoted as he still believed that Hennis did it. Yeah. And just as a weird thing, at this point, you know, eventually – he can't, you know, he'd come back, and they wound up living within 15 minutes of each other. Gary yeah,
1: like, it was, what, well, and it was more of over time, too, because now, Tim Hennis goes on, and after he gets out of jail, he's interviewed by, like, a, kind of like a 2020 show. Yeah. About, you know, what's it like to, you know, finally have your justice, you know, all that stuff. Um, he goes on to further his military career. He becomes, you know, like I said earlier, uh, a master sergeant. I he, mean, he has a very successful military he, career.
0: He went to a lot of places. And, like, he was in, like, Desert Storm yeah, and stuff. Yeah, he was stuff. in Desert Storm, um, uh, Somalia. He, um, the last time he came back was because of the Black Hawk Down stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So he was around there when that happened. Yeah, that's, uh, and he came back and retired with a lot of honors. Mm-hmm. and he was very highly ranked yep. because you see, the thing is when he was put in there for death row, then you're not, you're no longer in the military. Yeah. But when he got out and he was called innocent, he could have just not gone back or he could reenlist and he yeah. wound up reenlisting. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it, it was a passion, I'm guessing he, he was he, in
0: it for a total of 25 years. That yeah, That would be a passion. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, a big chunk of I mean, probably about half of it was after the death row release. Yeah. Uh Let's see what,
1: I'm not sure if it was right away after he was let go, you know, after all the death row stuff, he was let go. I think it was after, close to after he retired or, you know, maybe in his 30s or 40s, he ends up moving to Lakewood, Washington. And that.
0: And is that where he was wound up being really close to. Yeah,
1: that's 15 miles away from where um, Gary Eastburn lived and whenever whenever all this stuff comes back up you know years later they find out you know jana finds out gary eastburn they both find out this guy lived 30 minutes away from us this entire time if that yeah if if 30 minutes and that that's just one of the craziest just uh, coincidences that i I don't know. I don't know how I I, I don't know how to process that to be completely honest with you. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I'd be more enraged or what but it, it, they they both said it was very shocking. Yeah.
0: Now, two things that I forgot to bring up a minute ago about the second trial. I found this very interesting was that they confirmed that 2 months before the murders someone and Gary is the one who said this happened. Um, she was, re- Katie was receiving phone calls from an unknown man who was basically calling and like threatening her and being like, "I'm gonna come over and I'm gonna do stuff to you." Hmm. And they don't know who it was. Gary confirmed that it was happening. And something else that I believe, if Hennis did it, he somehow managed to make this happen. But what, right, right after he got on death row. He received a letter,
1: yeah, I, from
0: Mister X, yeah. and it was like basically, sorry, I did the crime, you're doing the time, and there was also one sent to the police station,
2: yeah,
1: and they were both signed Mister X,
2: yeah,
0: I, so
1: that one that completely slipped my mind. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. I'd have thought about that later on tonight. Like, oh
0: my gosh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so there are these little things like that, and if you look at this from the perspective of if Tim Hennis only. Knew her from these past few days when he bought that dog. That doesn't explain the person calling her two months ago. I have a theory on that that I will get to at the end of this show. Uh, nothing too spectacular, but so you know, as he gets out, he's doing his whole career thing, and um something big happens in the area of forensics country.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of ends up being the smoking gun of the whole case and this is why i mean i factor in you know the note that he was sent by mr x uh, all this stuff on why he didn't do it and then this comes up and i'm like all right you know what i i'm you did it Tim minutes you did it um forensic you know forensics has come a long way since 1985 and now we can better process sperm samples now, I thought in the 80s you could still match, you know, sperm for sperm, because he gave hair follicles tests, he gave sperm, he gave blood, he gave everything 10 minutes did. And now, you know, years later, they, some this guy is going through the cold case, uh,
0: boxes. Yeah, I think it was like the Innocence Project or something yeah. part, was part of it. And the thing, you know... I think in the 80s, they knew they were going to get to be about where they could test sperm, so they started taking those samples. Because for a long time, the only thing they could do with sperm samples was, if the person wasn't a non-secretor, they could find out their blood type through through the like, semen samples and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, if you're a non-secretor, because basically what it means is, most of the po- uh, population of males, there is traces of your blood in your semen. Whereas if you're a non-secretor, that doesn't happen. So there's no way for them to get a blood sample out of it, Um, which now they don't need that, you know. But at the time, that was pretty cutting edge for it. Okay, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Um,
1: but yes. So they're going through the box. They pull out a vaginal swab.
0: Yeah, it was from the rape kit that was done on Katie. Yep. And whose sperm did they find? They said that it was. There was only a one out of like quadrillion chance that it wasn't Tim Hennis. Exactly. So that's a big odd. Yeah, that's, to uh-huh. basically say. So they said, yeah, it was Tim Hennis.
1: And this is where I got revved up, and then Drew kind of told to, me that some of my. Uh, I had
0: to cool down the crab tree.
1: Yeah, Drew. Drew pointed out that some of what I had heard was wrong, and you know I'm you know down to listen to whatever, but. Maybe they I should re-
0: talk to you about this now, Crabtree. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> but they... Shout out to you, President Trump. <laughs> you <fight>. You're fired. <laughs> you're uh, fired. You've been terminated. So, anyway, well,
1: before Before we get into that, let's... I'll go, I'll go from there. Okay. They find out that this is more than, like... This is Tim Hennis, you know, sperm in, in the vaginal swap. So, what they do is, like, really, really clever... Yeah because awesome.
0: because of double jeopardy. Yeah. They couldn't try him again Mm-mm. because he'd been found innocent. Yep. So this man who had retired from the military like 10 or 15 years prior gets a knock on his door that he has to be reenlisted. Be re-en-li- reinstated. Yeah. And then he's court-martialed. He's court-martialed for murder. <laughs> so <laughs> so and it was very Sneaky, yeah, um and they they go, he goes to trial. I don't have a lot of notes about that trial, except for the fact that he was found guilty.
1: Well, and if you listen to his defense attorney he he says no the the sperm sample is not plausible evidence because they had consensual sex, but whenever they first when they did the first trial. The defense attorney asked him, if he's, he was like, you know, behind closed doors, look, did y'all have sex? Because we need to know this. And Tim Hennis said, no, we absolutely did not. You know, didn't want that to get out to his wife, I'm guessing, whatever. Okay, there's sperm found in the, vag- in the vaginal swab that is yours. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, it's like, hmm, they didn't have consensual sex, maybe. He is the one that raped her. And that's, so I, you know, I'm pointing, I'm putting two and two together, like, okay, yeah, he's the one that raped her. And then there's reports of, well, there was a condom wrapper that was found, and the defense attorney kind of makes the, you know, the point of they had consensual sex. I'm like, okay, the condom wrapper, you can rule that completely out because there was semen <laughs> found in the vagina. I mean, you, like that, that's what kind of just hacked me off. And uh, the defense I think it was the defense attorney, and this is what stuck me. And if I was Gary Eastburn, I probably would have came unglued. But... He basically says in the trial, he said that is not from rape. They had consensual sex. And then, whenever he brings that to the attention of you know the jury, the judge, and all the people in the courtroom, everything just got silent. And he makes the comment, hit a heart spot there, didn't I? And then just goes and sits down. And I was like, you have gotta be kidding me! Like I, I can't believe the judge didn't say something about that. Con- like that was just like so insensitive. I, it just it's really hacked me off but it actually ends up going in the Eastburn's favor because the judge is like no yeah no, 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 no. he's guilty or well I mean you know the jury but yeah um, and then he is charged again with death penalty. and he's he's currently serving at Fort Leavenworth Kansas which is I'm guessing a, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a popular place for you know all the military confinement you know yeah. Um, that was in 2010, so, you know, 25 years after the murders took place. Uh, he's actually been trying to get a retrial or appeal it, you know, whatever. Uh, it said that, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but not a lot of, you know, physical evidence now. When I see that that, that said, it's just like, you know, there was your sperm found, but I mean, I'm, I don't know how the law
0: system works. I'm, well, the thing is about the sperm sample, and um, I, I honestly, I just I first heard about this case. Wait,
1: talk about that real quick, because I completely forgot that you had said that earlier.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I first heard about this case from my favorite Murderer. Um, I, re- I really, which is a
1: podcast. Is not a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just a diary that
0: I keep to myself. Um, it's a it's a very successful podcast. If you're listening to us, you probably have heard him. Uh, they're really, they're really good. I really enjoy them, but they had talked about this and I brought it to Dustin and honestly getting into it, I mean, not to say that the other cases weren't bummers. <laughs> I mean, we talk about murder, but this one's just really bad.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know.
0: <laughs> but, um, so the, what they had mentioned on their show that they had read where the lab that H- Hennis's sample was sent to basically it was really kind of some shady stuff happened like they weren't you're not really supposed to send a sample and say like this is who we think it is or like they sent his sample with its name on it Yeah. so and then they they were kind of there were some other cases where they thought maybe the lab kind of was like oh the prosecution said they want it to be this person
1: and that like you'd be surprised on how much this stuff happens if you start If you listen to all these podcasts, not just ours, but if you listen to Gen Y, uh, My Favorite Murder, you you, you get into all the details on this stuff. This happens a lot to where, you know, the prosecution, they're like, well, we're probably going to get off. You know, because if they don't convict him on this one, they can't never do it again. Yeah. And because this is their last shot. So.
0: And I also kind of think that that's why when you read this stuff, that it comes in saying like a one in quadrillion. Like, they're not coming out and actually saying, because a lot of times when you read it, it's just like, the DNA came back positive that it is. And whereas when you read this, it says, well, there's a one and this chance. That it wasn't. Yeah, that it wasn't him. So it's like basically saying, astronomically, this was him. But also, they had mentioned on My Favorite Murder that he, that maybe the samples weren't kept properly. Yeah. Which could have made it to where, like, it's going to match up in a lot of Different ones, yeah.
1: Um, and see, I, and I, I didn't put that into, I didn't think about that. Like when I, I read this, I watched the documentary. Like, I kind of got bamboozled, I guess you'd call it. And I, I
0: hoodwinked.
2: Yeah, I was, have you?
1: <laughs> I was more frustrated just to the point of getting this case out than as to giving the facts, and that's where I have messed up on this case. But, I mean, that it happens a lot where, you know, they say, "Look, we want it to be this guy. Make it this guy." and you know that's just how the just our justice system kind of kind of works and you know if you don't know anything about these cases you're like no that's a lie or whatever you know but when you get into all these cases you're like this kind of happened a lot so maybe maybe our justice system is
2: kind of crazy
0: you know which you know it's whatever way you look at it i mean I guess we're coming towards the end of this. You wanna kinda of talk about our theories? Yeah. I mean, I think we both played our hand to some extent. I have I have a bit of a conspiracy theory in it.
1: Well, you know, I since yours sounds more interesting than mine, so I'll go ahead and go first and we'll let you wrap it up. I think that when Hemis when his wife was out of town, you know, wherever she was, that he went out looking for sex, which was reported. Mm-hmm. so we know that that's right from her ex-girlfriend she turned him down remembered the lady that he picked the dog up from was like you know what her husband's not home she he's been out of town for a while i'm gonna go over there he goes over there probably makes a statement about the dog or whatever just says hey i'm in the neighborhood and, you know this and that this is back before you know Cell phones were, like, a really big thing.
0: Well, it was 85. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that cell phones were a thing at this point.
1: <laughs> they were a
2: theory. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he might force himself on her. She turns him down, and then things go violent. Kills her. Kills the girls. Leaves the one that won't be able to identify him out. Just lets her sit there. And then he goes and lives a normal life. Um, tries to. Tries to, yeah. And for a long time, he does. Now, the fact of, you know, if he actually did do this, he was, he lived a normal life, a successful life. You don't know if he did. There, you know, he, this happened in, uh you
0: know, in, it happened in 85.
1: Well, yeah, where, uh I'm trying to think of where Fort Bragg is. I can't remember right now. Oh,
0: well, they live. They were from Fayetteville, North Carolina.
1: North, that's where. Okay, North yeah. Carolina. All right. This happened in North Carolina, and then you know, through the course of his life, you know, he's moved to. He ends up in Washington. That's where he was living at. So, you know, along the way, he could have done this to somebody else, and we don't never we don't know. But that's the thing that really irritates me about it. You know, looking at looking at it from every angle, I can't necessarily be like, yeah, he did it. Now. But the biggest part of me wanted to believe, yeah, he did it, but now I'm not so sure. But that's my theory of, you know, he did this, then he went out and lived a normal life, and that's just where I got irritated and was like, oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, my theory, I think that leading up to him, I think he went to his, girlfriend, his ex-girlfriends, <clears throat> tried to hook up with her. She rejected him. And I think he did go, you know what, that girl, she was alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe I go talk to this woman, and maybe maybe I can spark something up. I'll go there under false pretenses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think he goes, tries to talk to her. I think things go bad. Now, where I where I kind of get into a conspiracy theory uh, kind of deal. I think that he probably had somehow got someone to help him clean it up. And I say that because they honestly don't really have any evidence that he was there. Yeah. You know, like. As far, well, you, other than the semen sample. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, and you said the boot prints, too. Yeah,
0: there was, some, like, some shoe prints that were, like, three sizes too small for him. And they can't explain that.
1: Well, now, was it, were they covered in blood?
0: No, I just, well, I don't remember. Or were they just,
1: like, maybe a little bit dirty?
0: Well, I think they were, like, prints outside. Like, okay. kind of, like, looked like, when well, someone walked off. and like, you know, because no one had been through there
1: yeah now you could make the case if you know if the husband was home you know closer on that time well okay, that was because he was a smaller man than hennis was yeah
0: but he wasn't home
1: he, but he wasn't home so
0: yeah and i just i kind of because you know with the luminol test where they were able to tell that like someone had tried to clean up the scene you know one thing that i
1: want to throw in and i don't want to get you off course but his wife stood by his side like through this whole thing, I mean, she was not a big part in the case or anything like that, but yeah. she was like right there helping him the entire way. Now, like three sizes too small, it's not going to fit her. But
0: yeah, well,
1: I don't, I don't know. That it, was just a thought that just came through my mind. It could
0: fit her if you think about just like women's size, you know, shoes. But the thing about it is, she was with her mom. Yeah, that's true. So like, they have an alibi for her and the kids. The person who doesn't have an alibi yeah. is Hennis, and he lied to the cops about what he did that night. You know, you could say if he went to his ex-girlfriend's house, he just didn't want his wife to find out. You know, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like if we're, if I'm going to go with the theory that he did it, then I feel like Hennis did it, had somebody come help him clean it up. Maybe so. somebody was
2: there helping him kill him, too.
0: Yeah, and I've thought about that, too. My only thing is, I can't fully believe I honestly think that it was probably Henness who, uh, who Cohn seen outside that night. I, I kind of feel like the defense probably scrounged up some guy who fit the profile, which is really yeah. strange to find someone who has a spitting image of him. yeah. but and also, I mean, we didn't really bring this up, but Cone, in between the time of the first trial and the retrial when he, he
2: flipped, didn't
0: he? Well, no, he um, he, they just kind of discredited him because he had a bunch of drunk driving incidents yeah. and, like, because it kind of went to his head being a witness. And so he'd what? get pulled over and he'd be like, call the, call the chief. They know who I am. I'm helping you all. You can't do nothing to me. And he would, like, yeah. say things like that, and they were able to basically paint him as, like, a thief and a drunk. And so yeah. the jury the second time around, didn't really take him seriously. Yeah,
1: and, and you see a lot of people in cases, you know, if any information's needed or whatever, you get all these people calling up that want their 15 minutes of fame, and they want credited, spotlight. you know, if there's any reward money, you know, you get a lot of people that, they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to call in, and I mean, they might not necessarily want to give false evidence, but, I mean, you, you see that a lot. Everybody yeah. wants their and time in the spotlight.
0: I mean, I think Cone was telling the truth. Of what he saw. But I just feel like. It went to his head afterwards. And yeah. though it didn't hold up. In the next <clears throat> trial. But one interesting thing to think of. And it just kind of came to mind. We do have proof that. An unknown man was calling her. Yeah. Two months before. Could it possibly be. Maybe not that that was Hennis. But what if that's someone Hennis knows. And then what if. Hennis goes. To check out the dog, to kind of scope out the house, mm-hmm. because you know maybe the person who was calling knew the family, so maybe they couldn't come in and be like yeah. you know.
1: Or you could also throw in, well, what if he would? What if Hemis was the one that was calling him, you know, yeah. and giving those creepy things, and then oh,
2: the family that I'm calling and harassing, they put an ad in paper. I'm gonna go pick up that dog. Yeah.
0: And so. There, I mean, there's a lot of rabbit holes you could go down just theorizing. Yeah. I mean, and all that is just kind of our own theories. But one thing is for certain: he's been found guilty. Right now, he stands mm-hmm. guilty. He's on death row, and um, he's
1: he's had he's been trying to get an appeal for a long time.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I have there's aspects of this that give me doubts.
1: Yeah, and, then, and now that I have put everything kind of on paper and listen to everything out loud i'm not just like sitting here in my own thoughts i mean i have doubts too now and that really hacks me off because of you know how i came into this case
2: but
0: i I just feel like there's it's too late now as far as like getting really new investigation going on um evidence but i feel like there's other leads that they could have followed up at the time but you have this dude and you have a lot of circumstantial evidence against him so, you know, I mean, I can't even come out and tell you for sure that I think he did it, because I really don't know at this yeah. point. But I do know that
1: the fact of the matter is, even if, even if he didn't do it now, it's just like, well, this has been going on for, you know, a long time, thirty-two years, and I, it, it's really sad if he didn't do it. But even if he was to get out, no matter what you do, he's always gonna have the name.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's never going to get away from it at this point. If he didn't get out, he's still going to have that stigma.
1: And that's sad.
0: Yeah, because if you are found... I mean, he was already found innocent once, and it sounds like he, basically, after he got the innocent thing, a lot of people in his new life didn't know, you know? I mean, that's not something you're going to go around talking about, Uh but in this day and age with the internet, um, we're sitting here talking about it on a podcast, Yeah, so... People we weren't would even know. we weren't
1: even thought of whenever this yeah. whole thing went down. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but uh have we told them how old we are? No, I don't think so. How <laughs> that was about we let's do. let's let's take a quick break. let's
1: all right, let's end the summary. That's this is just kinda of how we kind of view it. I will say this. I went I researched this case and I started researching this case and I got so worked up that I was just like, no, I'm just gonna ruined his week. I'm just gonna rant on this. And now that, you know, I I see Drew's stuff and, you know, I listened to everything out loud instead of just replaying everything in my head. You know, I've came to, I I think he did it. I really do. Because if he would have came out and just been honest the first time, you know, if, if you're being, if you're about to be charged, if you're about to be, if you're suspected of murder, you're going to tell the truth to, try to make yourself look as innocent as you possibly can.
2: So, yeah.
1: Now, I feel for the family. Um, the the daughter that was left, the husband that has to live this for the rest of your life, I feel for uh, the Hennis family. You know, I can't imagine, you know, going through all that. I mean, that, that would suck. Yeah, and it's
0: not the, fam- the Hennis family's fault if this guy exactly. did it, you know. So, it shouldn't really be any hate in their way. No. Because...
1: You know, the daughter, the daughter of Hennes is the one that's gonna to have to really. She's gonna have the longevity of putting up with this because eventually her mother and father will die. Yeah. And she'll she'll outlive them, so she's gonna to have to, you know, be the one that puts up with this crap for a long time. But I think that pretty much wraps up the today's
0: case, Summerhill, Summerhill Road murders. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll be back with our next hat trick and our next topic, and I guess we're going to tell you how old we are. Yay. Yay. Well, Dustin, that was uh, one of our more depressing cases. For me, at least. Yeah, Um, you are – I'm glad it's done for your own sake.
1: Yeah, this one, like, just at work or whatever, thinking – I mean, I have a lot of downtime at work. I mean, I work hard, you know, but there's a lot of times where what I do – You'll you'll get like five minutes where stuff's kind of slowing down. You'll sit back and like think about you know whatever, and about three out of the three or four out of the seven days that I've worked so far, I'm just like, uh, it's been on your mind. Yeah, it's been on my mind, and I don't I I don't personally I don't feel like I did it justice, but I feel like it's off my chest now. So
0: yeah, I feel I get this feeling on for myself on this one like we didn't quite. Yeah, I, I don't just, think it was a bad one.
1: No, I just, it was a bad one, but it's just like it's it's really hard
0: to spin it in a way that's very positive.
1: Yeah, I mean there there was no good outcome. I mean, two children died. I mean, it was. I, yeah. I, anyway, let's get off. Anyways, of it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as we said, we'll go. Um, we just kind of want to say because it's funny that <clears throat> we're pretty young. Um, yeah. And we're doing talking about such serious stuff. Yeah. I remember
1: um uh, back whenever I went to tech uh technology school,
0: uh, you had to go learn about technology
1: no <laughs> uh, you're actually a draftsman i i took the i took the same class as you, but I didn't pursue it um yeah, but me and Zach, you know one of our friends we would uh be in class you know on computers or whatever, and we would just like look up you know videos on YouTube or whatever and he came across you know Dahmer and <laughs> You know all this stuff, and we got to looking at it. I was like, man, that's that's some pretty crazy stuff, you know. And I had told my dad about it. And uh, the next day, you know, we looked at uh, I can't remember who the next one was. I think it was Ed Dean that we looked at. And I I went home and told my dad about it. And he was like, you need to kind of watch out about what you're looking at, you know. Yeah. And he was like, it might think you're kind of crazy i was like yeah yeah, i guess you got a point but
0: uh look at us now crabtree (laughs) do it for a living yeah
1: yeah but um no i mean i've always kind of i've always liked horror movies you know yeah and uh same here so it's just like this is i'm not gonna say it's fun to like look about all these people getting killed or anything like that but it's just like a it's entertaining to see how all this stuff plays out
0: yeah well we're like you know, the term, the big term now is armchair detectives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, and a big part, you know, we were both interested in it. We got into true crime genre podcasts. Both of us are big fans of Generation Y. Um, I really like Last Podcast on the Left, My Favorite Murder, yeah. you know. And um, just kind of thought we'd give it a shot.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, even if it doesn't take off, it's something fun to do. I mean, just for the, you know necessarily it's not necessarily like it's like we get off on anything like this but it, yeah it's it's entertaining i mean it's stuff that we you know enjoy doing so
0: and yeah, it's a, it's kind of an outlet yeah for, you know we we can't have these kind of conversations with people on the street because yeah because it would we'll be crazy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know just for the record uh d brain it's me i'm 22 yeah then we got the crab tree here
1: d crab yeah i'm 21 almost 22 yeah. 22 in May.
0: But, uh, you know, with that said, Dustin, if you would like to hand me the hat, yeah, it's your turn to pick a story out. You know, actually, we mentioned hashtag We want Tony on the last episode. Tony was supposed to be here tonight, and he ditched yep. on us.
1: And that you know, and it's funny too because before we even put, you know, like we haven't got the Facebook up, and we haven't really got any of this stuff rolling yet. We're still waiting on some uh, designs and uh, intro and middle music and stuff like that. Um before that whole hashtag Tony even got kicked off for the fans, we just told Tony about it and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> come. But just to kind of point you in on Tony Simmons <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Crusher of Dreams <laughs>
1: <laughs> No, he um uh, he did it. he flaked out tonight, but that's okay. I'm pretty, yeah, pretty positive that we'll have him on here one of these days. He's
0: gonna get on and I think probably sooner than later. Yeah. Although he likes to talk a lot of crap about it. Yep. Which, but, uh, and
1: Tony's not, Tony doesn't listen to podcasts. Tony
0: doesn't, you know. He's, if you heard him talk on a recording, he'd probably sound illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, maybe he's just self-conscious. Yeah, and you know,
1: and whenever we have him on the show, we'll, uh, we'll have, like, a vocabulary list of what we want him to say and stuff like that to see if he can actually pronounce the words.
2: He probably can't. <laughs> you,
0: you know, I wonder, if the, fans hear, a if the fans hear this, they probably think we have some, like, it's like Hunk from the Goonies as a friend. <laughs> no, no Tony,
1: Tony's a good guy.
0: <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. that, that is the Crabtree opinion on Tony. <laughs> I hate him. No,
1: no, we do love him no matter what, how much crap we talk about him. But it's time to pull the next topic out of the hat and uh, it really is, shake it up a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's a good one, Crabtree. Uh, so we can bring some more some more hard truth to the fans. Yeah, and
1: I will I will say this. We do put some topics in here that are kind of off true crime a little bit. Um,
0: we, maybe for like
1: a down week.
0: We all need a break.
1: <laughs> you know, we put in hours and hours.
0: <laughs> Crabtree, you know, he comes in, looks like a madman. I think he's picked up a smoking addiction. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he hasn't. But, I mean, I kind of feel like I want to. I told him that we'd be... Like, a couple of the hardened detectives on TV. Like, you watch us drinking straight out of bottles of whiskey. And <laughs> yes. we're just, instead of, you wouldn't believe the things we've seen, it's, you wouldn't believe the things we've read.
1: Yeah. <laughs> just grown out with, like, this wooly mammoth of a beard. <laughs> yeah. Wild-eyed. No jobs. <laughs>
0: I've been through a lot. We have signs that <laughs> say, Will Podcast for food. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright, but, now let's, uh, let's pull the topic out. Now, if you... If the next topic we pull out is kind of off true crime, I just want to let everybody know that, yeah, we do have some softer topics, some that are more of like a debate, storytelling, stuff like that. Um,
0: but I will crime them up.
1: Yeah. I will
0: find some <laughs> weird way to do it. LeBron James is a time traveler. <laughs> I'm just saying that right now. No, this was Colonel Mustard. <laughs> <laughs> With a candlestick? In the laboratory. Alrighty. What is it, This is Movie Debate. Movie Debate!
1: This one's actually going to be a fun one, because I can go on and on about my movie,
0: and I'm not going to say it right now. I'm not going to let Drew know about it, which he might know my favorite movie, but I'm sorry, Dustin, I'm going to have to let everyone know. I already know it's the new Damn. <laughs> Damn you, Branson.
1: That will, however, not be my movie,
0: but... <laughs> he does love it. I actually do so like <laughs> I've never seen it. You haven't lived life yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, with <Anyway>. that said, <laughs> thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with yep. a very epic movie debate. Yep, thank you for uh, tuning into the Hat Trick Podcast. Cue <laughs>
1: music. Yep. I can
2: promise you my intention was the opposite. You see, I don't have much time to be talking about party and i drinking wine. Said I'll tell you how I lost my and Then I got it back with a soul clap.